Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Bird. I'm your host, Magdalena Vyolopolsky. Today we're chatting with Liz Delatore. Liz is a creative technologist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. This is a super interesting conversation, hearing how Liz went from having her dreams uh, to work as an animator and illustrator in the movies to crafting missions and working alongside scientists and astronauts, uh, working on missions that have landed in Mars recently. It's really an incredible story and it's, it's cool to hear her perspective on humanity and, and how we live within the context of the universe, which is why I reached out to her in the first place. When I was a teenager, I would often find myself thinking about my role in, in the world within the universe, and it would really freak me out. I know a lot of other people feel the same way, but I would spend evenings just kind of pondering about this existence and I really wanted to get an insider's perspective, somebody who's working really closely with people who are actually going out into the, the universe, into space, um, and getting that perspective of, of our relationship with, with the world around us. So I hope you enjoy it. This, is a, this was a really fun one. Uh, I loved speaking to Liz. So here you go. All right, well, so I'm going to go really broad. My first question, what's got your attention these days? Oh, um, that is a big question. Um, so right now, so I think um, MSR, a JPL. <laughs> so specifically, so all of the new campaigns that we have going, um, there's so many new exciting missions happening all the time. And um, just recently, uh, MSR, which is a Mars sample, uh, Mars sample return, um, where we're going to be grabbing samples for the first time from Mars, we're going to be bringing it back to Earth. And the whole process of how that happens is just really <laughs> mind-blowing to me um, but there's so many steps and everything has to go right everything has to be perfect no pressure um, so no pressure <laughs> and yeah and so they're doing some really great things and and I think it's um everything is in formulation in the background happening so uh, right now I think that has a lot of people's attention and especially mine I'm kind of zeroed in on <laughs> awesome oh my gosh I can't wait to hear more about that um, before we get into the details, which I'm sure will blow my mind, let's talk about your job. How do you describe your job? You're at a party and somebody's like, hey, Liz, what do you do? Yeah, so I always say that's a long story um, <laughs> is what I say. But, um, but really what I do is, so I'm a, a designer. I call myself a creative technologist um, at JPL. And, that, um, and I say that because I have a background in technology and creating custom electronics and circuits, um, but using those for, for creative means around the lab. And so, um, so I kind of have a weird background where um, my um, undergrad was an illustration entertainment art and so I illustrated cars, um, vehicles, uh, spaceships and things like that and environments but thinking they were going to be for feature film right so all of it for feature film and storytelling in some way um, and then I actually um, got a job right after undergrad at, at JPL and um, I ended up using those same skill sets of drawing um, and and 
and illustrating for mission concepts. And so um, really early stage mission formulation when we decide, um, hey, uh, we need to go to Jupiter or Venus. There, there's a group called A-Team that gets together and they are the architecture team at JPL under mission, for, mission um, uh, innovation and formulation. And they kind of get together and and see and identify how that happens and define all of that. And um, so I'm kind of in there drawing and storyboarding using those same skill sets that we use for feature film, but for um, for mission concepts. Okay, now. Liz, like you sort of brushed over the fact that you just started working at JPL after your undergrad, <laughs> but you're, you're, you were thinking your path is going to be in film. That's what you're going to do. So how did JPL even come into the picture? And how did you even think your skills were appropriate for the job? Yeah, and so I really didn't. Um, but <laughs> um, so what happened was uh, right at the end of undergrad, um, one of the mission managers at the time for the Rosetta mission, which was a mission that was going to land on a comet for the first time ever, which is wild. Um, he came to my undergrad, my um, alma mater, Art Center College of Design. And, um, and he came into one of the classes I was taking and just said, hey, does anyone want to be an intern at JPL? And like, no one said anything. And I was just like, me, <laughs> I like raised my hand. And I, you know, I think it was because, you know, JPL is so science and research heavy that, you know, it, nobody really knew. Even for me, I said, I don't know what I can do at JPL, but let me try anything, <laughs> something, anything. And it turned out that those skill sets were actually really helpful because um, I think I was their only graphic designer uh, for that mission at that time. And they, I think they, they only had a pixel um, image of the comet that they were gonna land on. And, you know, you're trying to land on a comet that's spinning however many thousands of uh, hundreds of miles per hour, um, and harpoon onto it, but you don't know what it looks like. <laughs> and so um, I was able to use kind of those skill sets uh, from feature film to really just quickly draw out everything the scientists were hypothesizing. There are so many conflicting um, thoughts from scientists about what it would look like and how much ice will there be on this comet? What is the thickness? How much does the light bounce off of the comet? Um, and so I was able to sit there and I had to learn really fast, <laughs> of course, because it was so science rich and just terminology that I didn't understand um, kind of going into it, just kind of a fire hose of information. But I was able to really quickly sketch out and draw out all of these concepts. And I always say that, you know, in the time it takes someone to maybe 3D model one one piece of a spacecraft it might take me that same amount of time I can draw like a hundred different options for the same thing and so just really quick sketches and they're not the best sketches but just um opening up like we call it like the trade space of what is possible and so so yeah and I do I did actually much later many years later we art Chmielewski and I who he hired me we wrote um a research paper about that process <laughs> that wow. exists online somewhere. But yeah, and it's really about uh, how do you use those visual techniques from feature film to um, help science and scientists understand what they're working on a little more um, and just get on the same page about what this place looks like. Wow. So like, so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, whoever whose idea was it to come to Art Center College and pluck a student out of there for JPL. Like, I feel like that's such forward thinking to sort of get somebody outside of the box. And like, do you know any of that backstory? 
Yeah, I do. So um, it was Art Chmielewski, who it was the, he's actually a project manager at JPL, a mission manager. So he manages actually a portfolio of different missions and concepts. And um, at the time, I think, so his father was an artist, uh, a really famous cartoonist in Poland, actually. And he was, he has always been inspired by art and design and has been a huge advocate for art and design and his career at, at, at JPL. And um and yeah, and so he had uh, just kind of dropped in and, and was hoping to get some art and design help on this project because, you know, he just knew he had always known the value of just visual communication, not just for um, public outreach, but for helping each other understand and transcend discipline specific language is what I'll call it, where if you're whether you're a mechanical engineer or electrical or propulsion engineer, um, they can all understand a, a drawing, right? But right. they sometimes have different languages that they speak in uh, because they're so just so specific to their fields that sometimes they bypass each other yeah. <laughs> or misunderstand. So yeah, he's, he's an amazing <laughs> supporter. I mean, this is like a prime example of a picture tells a thousand words or whatever that famous line is. Uh, <laughs> The other thing I wanted to ask you is, so I'm a designer as well. I design websites, very different things with way lower stakes. But, you know, the, the sketching process is a big part of that, a big part of idea generation and concepting. And it, it is one of those areas that I come across with designers that can be a really sticking point of the, this pressure to generate things quickly that aren't great ideas, that um, aren't finessed and then sharing that so how do you do that with the added pressure of actually <laughs> these ideas are really impactful like literally changing the human race do, does that do you do you think about that when you're sketching yeah and so I used to a, a lot um I think that um in the beginning I was really careful because it was um science is is kind of finite right almost sometimes it's like there's a certain um feeling of it that like I have to draw this right the first time <laughs> um but the science is actually always changing and evolving and I think that it really helped that um you know we did so many for example for Rosetta we did so many iterations of of these different um the different terrains of the comet that at the end I was like just like, you know, okay, this isn't right. Just toss it to the side. Let's just start over. And yeah, so there's so much iteration that happens. And I think though that there's something definitely to be said about, you know, the it's, it's so helpful. There's kind of a, at JPL, we say that um, it's like failure is, failure is a, is a good thing, right? It's that, that's how we, it, that's how we evolve and change and, and, and get better at the things that we do. And so that's how we, um, that's kind of how I see like the sketches in some ways is like, well, it's not the final thing. Like we haven't, you know, solidified right. this yet. We don't have to attach numbers yet. It's kind of one of those um, things of, it's actually, once we start adding the numbers then it becomes more refined, right? <laughs> but it's right now we're just ideating. Um, right. Similar to all design fields um, and how we ideate. And of course, you know, with, with user interface design and UX design, um, it's such different types of sketching compared to, you know, fashion sketching and um, architecture sketching, which actually is like, all of those things need to be really precise too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got me thinking, because I had a question for you earlier that was around, how do you create solutions for the unknown? So there's this process you're saying it's, you know, the, the concept sketching, it's kind of like, we'll see where it takes us. And then you start layering the science on top of it. 
how real is it at the beginning? Like the information that you have to start sketching? Like, I mean, look, I don't know anything about <laughs> space or comets, but I'm just like, okay, obviously there's information about these things. We have some science, but there's obviously so much that is unknown. So like, how are you navigating, not just you, but the team, that known and unknown? Yeah, and that's a great question. And um, I guess I'll, I'll first start by saying that that there are experts in everything. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's so many people that are, you know, really good at doing like researching one thing. It's their main science. They have their PhD in this one field of science. And, you know, when you're kind of working in, in that space and designing something for the unknown, it's so helpful to have the different experts in the room, everybody all together and different mindsets and different um, experiences even of, of people that have worked on different missions and how this mission did it, how did that mission do it? Um, so um, thinking about, about those sorts of things and having other people involved in the ideation process is so important. And of course, so I, I can't sit there and design a mission myself because I'm not an engineer, but I'm there to kind of help facilitate those conversations and ask maybe the questions that they might not be asking themselves or that they might be afraid to ask others um, that are in their field. And so that's kind of how I see, um, well, my role and also the role in, in the studio at JPL, which is where I'm kind of housed um, a lot of creative thinkers and makers. And so that's kind of what we, what we do is we bring in a lot of people, we have people together um, and define ideate sketch together and even um, have scientists and engineers sketch with us um, about the things that they're thinking. They're like, well, actually, this is how I saw it. And it's really wonderful because then you kind of open up this, it's almost like a language that, that you have, like a secondary language of visual communication where we can just sketch and people just understand it. <laughs> and it's so yeah. helpful to just have it. I love that. And what about, so when everybody's in the room together, you've got all these incredibly smart people and I know you're one of them. You, you have a master's at MIT as well, but is there this sort of like, who has the final say? Is it the, the smartest person in the room? Like, how do you figure that out? And how do people engage with you? Like, are you seen as an expert in the room as well? Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you for asking that. So, so yes, there are. So, with, within a mission, there are different roles that people have, and um, and you know, there's the principal investigator who is like the lead of the of the concept. They're pushing it forward. Then they have the project manager and uh, uh, maybe a capture lead. Um, so they'll have different roles, and usually, it's the final say is the principal investigator um, and the project manager who are leading the effort. So they all have their specific roles that they play. And um, everybody comes in as a subject matter expert. And so um, I would be a, a, maybe a communication subject matter expert or an expert in uh, on something else, whenever a creative technology subject matter expert, whenever that pops up. But it's different for every concept or situation. So there's never one, um, it's never the same as <laughs> what I'll say. It's always kind of shifting and and changing around and depending on on the type of concept we're working on or or project we're working on to creative projects as well got it mm -hmm. and how normal is your job is this literally nine to five I'm coming here I'm solving stuff that's going to Mars and then you're like going to your cousin's birthday party after work is that what's <laughs> happening um I try to make it nine to five <laughs> okay there's 
happens where we work more hours, you know, for um, there, there, of course, are those times, especially, I know, um, for like mission launches and those sorts of things, the team might be there cheering them on. And, you know, with the recent Mars landing 2020, the team, they're, they're there for a long time. <laughs> and so I think that there's instances where, you know, it's it's much more than nine to five, but um, I think it depends on um, uh, many things like, yeah, the, the time of day, uh, the time of the year that it is, right? <laughs> so it, it depends. Sure, yeah. sure. So you said something earlier around this, the science is always changing. So I guess with that comes like no no problem is the same you're like your job is different like every month every year the longer you work there you're not solving the same problems it's just new stuff that's coming up yeah and so um I think there's kind of a lot of meaning to that the science is always changing and not that the science itself changes once we discover something it's you know, it's, that's what it is, <laughs> but um, the science is changing in that and we're context switching a lot. And so there's different, um, we're always thinking of like the big questions in the universe and how to get to those answers. Like the origins of Mars, for example, is one big one. So there's many ways to get to that answer. And, you know, we are always searching for all of the things that can help us to get to that answer. And so when, um, so there's a lot of different pieces of data that scientists need to collect of course, down to, you know, is there, does water exist on Mars? Is there, um, those sorts of questions are there and they're asking them, um, is there life on Mars? <laughs> those even bigger questions. And so they're searching for, for all of that. And, and yeah, so it's, it's always changing in that some of the projects that I might work on are asking different forms of that same question. It could be all about Mars, maybe one year. Um, and then another year, it's actually more Earth focused. We might be um, thinking about about um, a climate on uh, climate questions. Sea level rise actually is a big one too um, on Earth and turning the camera back around on us some, sometimes. And so, um, so yeah, it's always really amazing and, and um, it's, it's uh, always fun. <laughs> yeah, my gosh, it sounds incredible. This sort of ties into something I was thinking about before we got on this call because I was I was reflecting about you know my relationship with space and when I was a teenager I would regularly have like these existential crises where I thought of myself in the context of the universe and I would freak out and it would like keep me up at night and I was just you know who am I in this spec what does it all mean and I'm just curious from your point of view, how has your relationship to your life, your world, the people around you changed over the years of working in this place? That's a great question. I think that I find those relationships even more special than before, knowing that, you know, the universe is so large and we're really, it's kind of, the, we're, we're all we have, right? Um, it's just us on earth. We're all kind of one family and I know that there are astronauts that they go up to space and they it's kind of like the overview effect if you if you've heard of it where they look back at the earth for the first time when they're in space and they have this overwhelming feeling of humanity and that like well wow we're actually that's it everything you know and love is on this orb <laughs> floating in space and you're you're slowly drifting from it, right? Oh, <laughs> um, <God>. So <laughs> it's kind of a scary feeling, but also an overwhelming emotional experience. And there's um, a few research papers, I believe, and books that it actually shifts their cognitive perspective on on the Earth. Um, 
in very fundamental ways. And so I had always thought that, you know, I have never experienced that, <laughs> but um, I do feel like working on, on space missions and being part of those teams um, really just kind of opens up the opens up that that space a little bit more uh, for me as a, as a as a human a resident of planet earth <laughs> right? um, because you know eventually one day when we get to mars we're gonna have to update our passports and it'll say what planet you're from one day when's um, that happening liz um uh, i i there's so many it's a long it's gonna be a while <laughs> but it's pretty soon we do have a, but we have a plan um for that and so you know we're we're um uh, NASA has their moon to Mars um, happening. And so they have a plan for getting us to the moon and then um, boots on Mars. And so, yeah, and that's all available on the NASA website, but, uh, you know, it's getting closer and yeah, and it's exciting. Of course, you know, we're going to be doing science first and research when we get right. there, but eventually, you know, people will be there wow. <laughs> to stay forever. So, so does this, I mean, I, I know the answer to this, maybe, but I, I'm just going to say it anyway. To you, is space tangible? Because to me, it I have, it makes no sense to me. It's so scary. I just, like, I can't even, like, and, you know, watching space mm -hmm. movies and things like that, It it's just so bizarre to me. Yeah, and so I think that, so we, at least with um, with the team that I work with at JPL, the studio that I'm a part of, we are we're kind of a team of storytellers and um, and creatives, creative strategists, thinkers, and we have always tried to find ways of making space tangible. In that, like maybe you can interact with the data in some way, or you can feel like you're on Mars or something in some way of. of maybe some kind of visual interaction um, with a space. And so we create a lot of like uh, a lot of artwork and installation pieces, art installations that maybe go around and um, kind of bring it a little closer because sometimes it's hard to connect with something that's of course so far away. Um, and for an, for example, we do have a set of planet pointers. They're kind of like little signs that stick up out of the ground and they're pointing, you know, usually you they point to like a direction or like, you go find pizza this way um, but these are pointing up to space or um, different planets in real time so we'll walk out onto the jpl mall for example our communal area and these signs will be pointing to mars but it's like kind of slowly it's there and it's wherever that sign's pointing thousands of miles away that's where <laughs> that's where mars is and so it's kind of a different um feeling when you can kind of see the location you're you're connected to it in that way yeah. um so we're always looking for those stories or those moments where people can connect to that data in, mm. in any way. <laughs> so, I love um, that. Yeah. yeah that, that just made me think about what you said earlier. Like I can imagine walking out on my lunch break and seeing that sign. And then it does make you reflect, like, where am I in context to this? And that like that sign specifically is so powerful obviously the pizza sign is also very powerful but like this one will really put you into context of mm -hmm. yeah and and it's um you know we're always kind of moving in the solar system right earth is always you know uh everything is moving <laughs> all the time and so it's never the same place and so it's always kind of uh, really interesting to to also kind of realize that well you know, we're here on Earth, but we're also, 
you know, where everything is shifting around us all the time and we're actually, you know, speeding along with everything else. And um, sometimes it is kind of hard to, you know, you're working on something for so long and you kind of um, forget those things sometimes. And then you'll walk out and see things like these, the sign <laughs> and you're like, oh, I remember where I am now and <laughs> what I'm doing. And yeah, and so it's always interesting. And and yeah, and actually I will say that, you know, there are some um, people at JPL that are on Mars time. So when they work um, on missions, they are on, they actually have to tune themselves to the planet that they're oh. working on for, to be able to send commands to the spacecraft. So for example, Mars, um, for a time, there's people there that are, you know, slowly shifting their schedules to be on Mars time. So they're working overnight and they're going to sleep during the day. Um, it's huge sacrifices for, for them, right. for their, their families, but um, but they really feel like Martians because they're working on, on Mars time <laughs> and they're sure. only... Yeah. What is Mars time? Like, what what's the difference? Is it still the 24 hour mm -hmm. clock or is it? Yeah, so it's a little different. Um, and um, and it changes so much that I actually don't know the specifics of it. But for a few, um, for a few moments in time, um, it's overnight for Earth. And so you would have to stay awake from, you know, a specific amount of time, like 3pm to, you know, maybe like, with 2 p.m. for example um and so 2 a.m. and so it kind of and it's always shifting so I'll say that it's basically a chunk of time that it's every day it gets a little farther away and so the oh. Mars team has to shift their schedule an hour every day or so oh, wow. um and those numbers are completely wrong but <laughs> um but that's an example is that there's a time block that is kind of two time blocks that are shifting slowly away from each other as they earth and mars pass um along each other and so so yeah and as it goes farther away of course you know it time becomes different so so yeah and it's so it's never like a set time <laughs> is what i'll say yeah. will, there's many times <laughs> i know i was I, just thinking oh it's like you're a shift worker but then it's like shift worker roulette or something because each shift changes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's actually like you know it's not is um, I was I had always thought of it as, you know, like when you go, um, there's a time change when you go to another country or another part of the world. There's, you know, you get jet lag, but that's actually, it's it's almost as if those places are moving farther away from each other right. <laughs> every time. So it's actually so hard to you wouldn't. It's hard to know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Um, at least for me, it's hard to know, but I'm sure some. <laughs> someone at JBL knows um, I hope so <laughs> yeah they know more than me <laughs> but um but I only know that 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 time block just shifts constantly yeah. so it's fascinating hard. I wanted to ask you I was doing I, I read an interview with you with uh, MIT like years ago but you talked about this language developing a language of being able to communicate between this the language of science and the language of art but I wanted to ask you, for you personally, do, does spirituality come into it at all? And has, if you are spiritual, which maybe you're not, has that changed again uh, over the time you've worked at JPL? Oh, that's a good question. Um, thank you for asking that. And yeah, and so it's always interesting. And so, uh, so at least in my opinion, um, is what I'll say, I think that it always feels for me, very spiritual to, to whenever I hear a new piece of science or something that is like brand new information about the universe, <laughs> it feels somehow much grander than it's, it's, 
and maybe you have felt this way as well, but you're, it's something like, it's mind blowing almost. It's like something that is almost for a moment, even it's, it becomes very spiritual in some ways. And so, um, and at least for me, um, you know, my family is, uh, so I'm Mexican American. Uh, my family comes from Mexico that is very um, a Catholic uh, culture heavy. And so that spirituality has kind of always played, um, at least for me personally, it's, it's always kind of been kind of, you know, um, omnipresent there like my grandmother of course the <laughs> uh who's the the matriarch of our family <laughs> was a very spiritual person um and yeah and so it's always kind of when I, I whenever I see something that is like a new piece of information or something I didn't know before that is really mind-blowing I always kind of feel that similar spiritualness um uh, come in there and so yeah it's always I feel like just uh just learning new things and for me even even if I'm working on like a new um, piece of software or something that I'm working on it just feels like when you get the eureka moment you know like it works <laughs> um, or your code finally works and it's doing the thing you want it to it just feels like an elation that is a uh, you know somehow very amazing <laughs> and yeah. spiritual I love that I love that there is space for that especially when you're in such a sort of science heavy place but to you know there are those moments and there are uh, those moments in time that can't be explained or you're in this sort of holding space of what's next and like the possibilities mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely especially in times of celebration I feel like when um there's a mission landing and I think you've seen like the people cheering right for Mars and the, the whole team is cheering and you know even if we're not in the room with them it just feels like you're connected to them in some way. And so it's it's kind of this um, this connectedness is what I'll say that happens at, at that feels when, when those things and events occur that we're, um, you suddenly feel human kind of yeah. <laughs> in a way. It's like I a human sort of uh, feeling. Like, I, I don't know if I've, you know, this is, uh, so I'm I'm a US citizen. So I'm, I'm always like, I feel American, right? But, but when those things happen, I'm like, I feel human. Yeah. <laughs> like, <it's> <laughs> Totally. And so those things are really, um, uh, really interesting. <laughs> um, you just made me think of something. So obviously I'm not American, I'm Australian, um, but love being here. And I was just wondering that sort of patriotism, what its connection to NASA, like I see, I, I feel they're so interlinked. And, you know, when you are watching those mm -hmm. movies, it's the American flag and things like that. And I don't know. I just it just came to my mind as you were saying that and I was curious as to how what's your response to that is that something that mm -hmm. is sort of present or yeah and actually so I mean going way back into NASA's history even just you know thinking about how NASA began I mean we're all kind of it was it's a it's the National Space Agency and so of course it's very um there's a very um patriotic feeling that comes with that because of the history and origins of of NASA and um, also JPL as well and their history of, of, of how we were founded and and so I think that that kind of it feels that way um, because it's it's a it's a government uh, organization <laughs> an agency and so um, I think that it's it does feel very um, it's kind of in the movies when you're watching a movie and it feels like one of those um, those films that it's it just has a feeling and I, I don't know what how to describe that as much but I know what you're saying <laughs> but it has a feeling <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so, totally 
<laughs> I and love the that. Flag is in the background, and and yeah, <laughs> and the images. <laughs> it's always yeah. We always have the flag in the background displayed, right. which is very yeah. Fun. We we got to know who did it. <laughs> I had um just to kind of switch gears a little bit. Either about your job or working at JPL, what's one thing you want people to know? So. I, I, yeah, either specifically to you or either about work, working in JPL, what's one thing you'd like to share? I think that the one thing I'd like to share, so well, oh, it's hard to dis, to <laughs> describe, but um, I think that that art and design and science and engineering are so, they're more similar than we might think they are. And that, you know, working at, at this place is just, has really opened my eyes to that to that kind of knowledge is that we actually we need everybody <laughs> to get to to get and answer those big questions um, that we want to ask and so um so really you know whether your background is is in architecture or or you know fashion design or any any other fields um i just wanted to mention that it's um yeah we need everyone <laughs> for yeah. sure so yeah awesome no i love that i think yeah and i like that mm -hmm. you talked about that because I would say for the majority of people, it's such an unknown, like what goes on there? Who's there? I think we all have some assumptions, and uh, but to know that it's actually much broader and the skill sets that are needed to make these things happen, you might not necessarily think of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have we have business business managers and accountants and everyone and uh, and construction <laughs> workers. So there's, it's hard to describe how many people, but yeah, and everyone plays a role. And I just, um, before I didn't realize, you know, in undergrad, before getting a role at JPL, it was um, hard to, to, to see myself there because it felt like that, like, oh, it has to be science. Um, but there's actually so many um, pieces that are always moving and yeah, every, so many skill sets <laughs> that are needed. Too. Totally, yeah. I love that. So I've got like kind of three quick-ish questions to kind of wrap up with. One is either personally or professionally, what are you looking forward to? Let's see. So I think, so for me, what I'm looking forward to, at least professionally, are kind of all of the upcoming missions that are that are happening at, at JPL and, and just being able to to have worked on some of those missions was really amazing because um, usually the, the timeline is very long. Um, I think that I worked on things five years ago or six years ago, and they're now becoming, becoming either launching or they're becoming missions. And so for me, that's so exciting to finally see the things that I was working on very early on as a post-it note. And now they're, you know, going off and they're on a rocket. So that's so exciting to, to see uh, for me. So professionally, um, it's kind of one of the, the first times it's happening to me now because of the long timeline. It's actually like been 10 years I've been at JPL. And, you know, just now I'm starting to see some of those things that I worked on actually coming to life. So it's, it's amazing. That's awesome. Wow. I'm, ex I'm so excited for you. <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> imagine that anticipation. Like sometimes I'll work on a, a website and takes like six months, maybe 12 months for it to launch. And that feels like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will say it's very different than like the film industry that I was, you know, <laughs> hoping to work in for sure. And, and what about something like advice? Is there any advice you would give or any advice that's been shared with you that, you know, has really been meaningful in your life? Yeah, I think someone, someone mentioned to me very early on, 
um, I don't know who said this, but they said, they said, just if, if you don't know how to do something, like you don't say no, just try anyway and see if you can. And I think that that, that advice kind of pushed me to even raise my hand to apply for the role, even though I didn't know anything about, you know, that actually changed my life. <laughs> so that advice was, was, you know, even if you, you want to do something, but you don't know if you'll be good at it, but try anyways, um, because you'll, you might surprise yourself or, you know, the only thing that's really standing in your way might be you sometimes is that, oh, well, I can't do it, but you actually can. <laughs> right. So yeah, I think that advice was really helpful uh, for me. And there was one other piece of advice that was really helpful, at least when deciding to go to MIT. Um, I took a, so I took a two-year leave of absence from JPL to go to MIT. And I thought, you know, it's kind of scary to leave a job I was at for a long time to go to school and then come back. And, you know, I might not have a job when I come back. <laughs> so how do I do that? Um, and someone told, I, I was like, well, I was telling an a supervisor that, you know, it's going to be two years, it's a long time um, to be gone. And they said, well, two years are going to pass, whether you do <laughs> the degree, you're either going to have a master's or not at the end of two years. So okay. you may as well uh, go for it. And because either way, two years will happen. <laughs> I love that. So that was so helpful to me too. <laughs> yeah, that's so nice. And it worked out for you. <laughs> it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> the, la the last question I have is completely unrelated. Do you have a comfort food? If so, tell me about it. Oh, I do. I am so happy you asked. So um, yes, so I really love tacos. <laughs> so that's my favorite street tacos specifically. Um, I will drive many hours to find good tacos. Um, <laughs> and I love it. I mean, partly it's, you know, a cultural thing too. It's just, I, I grew up with tacos <laughs> and especially being in Los Angeles, um, Mexican American food or Mexican food is such a big um, staple here in LA. I only cook Mexican food because I'm Mexican. So <laughs> um, it's always kind of one of those things where I will, I'll drive far away to go find the perfect taco. So thank you so much for inviting me um, onto your podcast. I'm so excited to see and all of the other interviews have been amazing. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more, of course, from you all as well. <laughs>